0: So like I mentioned in the last episode, I've been practicing social distancing. And for me, para mi, avec moi, it is not easy. I am not a sit-in-the-house type of girl. I'm a go-to-brunch. I am a a sit-down-at-a-restaurant. I am, oh, there's this new art installment. Let's go to that. Like, let's go to the club. I am that type of girl. I'm not an inside type of girl. So... In my transition to becoming an Insight Girl, I've been watching a lot more TV, as pretty much has everyone else. So today on Stream of Social Consciousness, Gals, Theys, and Them's, we're going to be talking about all the stuff that's been on, can't even say all the stuff that's been on TV, all the stuff that's been on Netflix, Hulu, and the streaming sites that have been getting us through. Our social distancing protocol. Let's jump right into it. Welcome to another episode of Stream of Social Consciousness. It's your host, Olivia Brown. And like I said, today we're gonna be talking about all of the drama in Tiger King, Carol Baskin. Hey, killed her husband, whacked him. Can't convince me that it did not happen. They need to make that the official like remix to Savage. I know. Beyonce? Beyonce? Okay. Hold on. Before we jump into the episode, Beyonce. Period. That's it. That's all. Because I know y'all heard the Savage remix. It's really like all the little random vocals. It's all the random sing-songies. It's Beyonce having 400 verses. It's everything to me. And that's that on that. If you don't like it, you don't have taste and you need to go reevaluate what whatever's going on with you. But I digress. Let's jump right into the episode, y'all. Splash! You have now entered the stream of social consciousness, your favorite podcaster's favorite. (laughs) Favorite podcast with your girl, Olivia Brown. And like I said, we're going to be talking about Tiger King. Sella and them, if you haven't heard Miss Sella and the Spades, uh too hot to handle everything. Listen, Miss Tyra Banks is getting her having her day on Twitter. We're even gonna talk about that. So, where do we even begin talking about all the things that we've been consuming, breaking down the mess? I would like to start with my personal favorite of all the all the shows that I have pulled and curated for your listening experience today. So, high key, I think Tiger King is probably my favorite thing that's come out of quarantine. High key for me. Um because there is just so much like so if you don't know, Tiger King is a mini-series, docu-series, limited series, whatever you want to call it, on Netflix. And it's about everything. Like, it is about, like, tigers, yes. (laughs) It's about crime, enemies, cults. There's a one-armed gal on there. Like, what? Tiger King is... I don't know about y'all, but for me... For me... Tiger King is it. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because say whatever you want to say, but I am very tired of like just people in general. People in general trying to trying to come in infiltrate black culture, steal cultures in order to make profitable, marketable things. I like Tiger King because I feel it is really the peak of whiteness, white culture, whatever that means in America. I I really, truly, honestly, I enjoy when white people be doing white people shit. I do. And raising tigers, breeding tigers, and then proceeding to fight with other people across the country who are also breeding tigers, if that isn't the most white ghetto shit that you've ever heard, seen, experienced in life, I don't know what is. So Tiger King, Tiger King is about, it's like this docuseries that basically is documenting the feud and underground story of tiger breeding and selling and sanctuary in America. So they start off, I'm not, I'm going to do my best to try to not spoil anything, but Girl, be realistic. It's an episode about <laughs> reviewing shows, so be prepared for some spoilers. Not all of them, but some. So uh, this Tiger King kind of features the story of breeding, uh, cup petting, all of that surrounding tigers in captivity in America. So they start off telling us that there are more tigers in captivity in America than there are in the wild, which is crazy to me. Um, all the animal rights girls. If you're listening, let me know. Uh, what we can do, who we can donate to, because that is ridiculous. But that is the premise for this show. So we're introduced to Joe Exotic, who is described as a gay, gun-toting, like mullet carrying, crazy person. Really, is what he is. So Joe Exotic is, like I said, a polyamorous gay cub breeding redneck who has a gun and is going to whack the shit out of Carol Baskin. So who is Carol Baskin? Carol Baskin is Joe Exotic's mortal enemy. So the whole the whole storyline is centered around Joe Exotic, who has created this like. Little zoo where he bought a couple of animals, bred a couple of animals. Now he has a whole zoo. Carol Baskin, all the way in Florida. Mind you, Joe Exotic is in like Ohio or something. Carol Baskin has committed her life to saving big cats. But get into this, because this is what I was like, now Carol. So... Carol Baskin has committed her whole life to saving the cats. She's the cat lady. She dresses up in cats. All she wears all day, every day, is cat prints. Um, and Carol Baskin is committed to saving the cats. So, in that, she is committed to taking Joe Exotic and his zoo the fuck down, period. So, Carol Baskin has done literally everything she can to make sure that Joe Exotic cannot operate the zoo because she's a cat advocate. She's a cat advocate. Oh, I like that. I am a copyright that. Y'all hoes don't steal from me. <laughs> I am going to copyright that. So Carol Baskin is a cat advocate. So that sounds good, right? She sounds like the hero of the story. No. Carol Baskin also has cats, big cats, large animals, large exotic animals, in captivity, in cages, on her sanctuary, Big Cat Rescue. Um, Now, see, this is why I say I'm from Miami and not I'm from Florida. Because separate from Miami, the rest of Florida is such a wild, no pun intended, place. Like It's so on brand. It's so fitting for me that all of this is happening, and somehow, some way, Florida Floridians are involved in it. Now, that Carol Baskin, Joe Exotic beef—that isn't the only layer to Tiger King, surprisingly. So, this story has so many twists and turns. So, essentially, another layer of the show kind of talks about like the tiger, big cat. um industry in America. They talk about all these different characters and players in the industry. And what's crazy to me is that it all sounds like they're running cults. <laughs> it does. And at one point they're speaking to someone, Doc Antle, and I want to say South Carolina. And he's like, oh, you're trying to set me up to say that in order to be involved with a big cat place, you have to join a cult. And he's like, oh, but that's not the case. See, let me tell y'all the cult business model. I ain't never been in no cult, but as your residential cultologist, let me tell you the business model. It it seems like cults, these cults, not even, let me not call them cults. These organizations rather are recruiting a group of people that fit whatever criteria. If it's duck until you're a, a beautiful woman, if you're working with Joe Exotic, you're some type of criminal, just got out of prison. And these figureheads are like promising them that, oh, you know, you get to work with animals, you get to take care of animals, um, and we'll pay you, blah, 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 blah. It seems, all I'm saying is that it seems the same for everybody. And it seems very convenient that there is always some type of way Keeping people not only serving these like large figureheads, but also serving the animals for forever. Even Miss Carol Basket, Miss High and Mighty, is in Florida having this volunteer program. Miss Carol, I'm gonna tell you something about Miss Carol Basket. One thing about her that you have to respect is that she really does cover it all. And though for me, I feel like she needs to be lumped in with the rest of them. People are like, oh, Free Joe Exotic, Free Joe Exotic. I don't know about all that. I really don't. What I do know is that I do think that all of them should be in there with him. But Carol Baskin, though, Carol Baskin is an elite type of big cat player, in my humble opinion. Because she she is someone that has an answer for everything. She has it down. She has it all ziplocked and tight and right. And you have to respect it. Because even when they were coming at her with the, oh, you killed your husband rhetoric, because that's another layer in this story where all of the big cat people who breed and all of this stuff with cubs they don't fuck with Carol Baskin because not only is Carol Baskin trying to get Joe Exotic out of here, she's coming for basically everybody. And not only do they kind of, the other players, I guess, call out her hypocrisy saying, how can you be mad at us when you're out here buying cubs? You have cubs in cages, all of this. But also they say that she killed her husband and fed him to a tiger. And okay, before I had even started watching tiger king that is the promise the prospect of the show that sold me someone was like oh have you seen tiger king i was like no what is that they were like oh this lady fed her husband to a tiger and she's beefing with some other retina. i'm like bitch sign me up fed her husband to a tiger let me get into it and the way that carol answers questions about that but answers questions in general She has to be some type of sociopath. She has to be. Everything is so calculated. And I don't understand. She's so calculated. She's so cool. I don't know if it's because she's been doing this for years or if she is some type of sociopathic something, but I know if it was me, I'd be hot. You telling me, oh, I killed my husband, especially if I ain't killed my husband. I would be showing all types of emotions, but Carol does not do that at all It's just very together, very, very together, period. And the whole time throughout Tiger King, they're fighting. All these things are happening. And I genuinely am thinking, this shit is not real. This shit cannot be real. All throughout my safari search history on my phone is, is Joe Exotic a real person? Is Tiger King real? And, bitch, it's real. <laughs> I can't believe that. And, honestly, the reason I said, like, it really is, in my opinion, a testament to whiteness, white culture, whatever that may be, because, honestly, one, the level of entitlement that you have to feel to, to, to truly believe that you, in your little however much square footage, can raise a tiger and should be allowed to raise a tiger— that level of entitlement i've seen it before <laughs> that's all i'm going to say i've seen it before and then furthermore that level of like i'm right and i don't give a hell, i don't give a fuck what you have to say because i'm right and i'm going to fight you and argue argue you down on what i believe is my right opinion even though objectively objectively mama look at the facts um no one's really right here. Like it really, I've seen that before. I've seen that I'm going to argue my wrong opinion before. And that's all I'm going to say. And though I feel like Tiger King does show this type of sick and twisted under society of tiger breeders and big cat breeders and all of this and this this dramatic display of whiteness oh my gosh it's so fucking entertaining i could listen to joe exotic say carol baskin like i could listen to that all day i could listen to him say that all day like it is every uh, the guy who is kind of i guess narrating He's not really narrating, but his commentary is narrating the show was uh, Joe Exotic's TV show producer. And he said like something along the lines of like he had everything to make the perfect reality TV show. And that's like what they were doing, uh, which is why they have all this footage. But he was so right. Like he was so right. This is everything for reality TV. It's mess. It's drugs. It's sex. It's money it's tigers. It's everything. And I have loved, after watching it, I've loved seeing people compare Joe Exotic to Jeffree Star. I love that. I do. Cause I can't stand Jeffree Star's ass at all, at all. And it's crazy because that's why I'm like, see, I'm not going to go as far as say I stand Joe Exotic. We don't stand Joe Exotic because he is just as much as of like, emotional abusing racist guy as any other white man who is emotionally abusing and racist but someone posted a tweet if I can find it I'll link it in our description but someone posted a tweet and they were like comparing Joe Exotic to Jeffree Star saying that they're basically the same racist man racist business owner who manipulates straight men into having sex with them and chow the tea burnt my tongue with that one. It really did. And even thinking outside of that, I don't know. I really don't know if I stand Carol Baskin. I don't know if I hate her. All I know is that she has that big cat energy. Something about her, something about her. She she has that big cat energy. And like I said, you have to respect it. And honestly. I, if you can't already tell, I've been blown away by Tiger King because of its ridiculousness, because of its like a grotesque almost display of entitlement and whiteness and, and trash and all of it. And I feel like you should go watch it right this second. I feel you should pause this podcast and go watch Tiger King and come back and report back to me. That's how I feel. So we're going to move on and talk about the next show which is Sella and the Spades. So if you haven't heard, Sella and the Spades is a movie that is streaming on Amazon that features a dark-skinned black girl. And no, it may not be about race. No, that may not be what it's about, but... When I saw the advertising for Sella in the Spades, I didn't give a fuck what they were talking about. I was like, who is this cute little dark-skinned black girl? Go niece, period niece. And I wouldn't stand. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into though. So Sella in the Spades is about this high school where they, the students there are broken into these like factions and they're all doing a bunch of badass shit. So the factions are the students who like sell drugs, who host parties. They are at this like rich ass day school type of thing to give you context. And Sella, the main character, is a leader of one of the factions. And basically Sella is a kingpin of the high school. Sella is in charge of the drugs. Sella is moving that fucking weight, okay? And she don't care. Who, what, when, where, why. She don't care about none of that. She care about the money. She care about getting the product. So what the storyline of Sella and the Spades is about is essentially that Sella is about to graduate from this high school and she needs a successor. So this new girl, Paloma, I believe the character's name is, um, she comes and Sella's like, you, Pooh, I want you. So Sella... Starts training this girl, random old girl plucked from wherever, to be her successor, her the next kingpin of the Spades. Her little faction is called the Spades. The issue is that Sela is basically beefing with another faction called the Bobbies. Listen, these faction names, I something about it. I live, I live for the Bobbies. I live for the Spades, something about them. I really like the naming of them, but that's so random. But anyway, Sela is like beefing with the Bobbies. The Spades are beefing with the Bobbies. And it's just this whole very messy thing of like Sela trying to train Paloma while also still trying to run the, the drug business, while also still trying to like Plan their senior prank with the with the other factions, um, and still have this beef. It's very layered. So when I first watched Sella and the Spades and I finished it, I was very confused. I'm not even gonna lie, I was very very confused because I was just like, so they had high school, but they selling drugs. So no, the the principal and them, they don't know nothing about this. Um, and I feel like I've gotten, I hate to say it, I hope it don't sound ridiculous, but I feel like I've gotten to an age and a point in my life where I am not interested in seeing high school people, high school age people do anything. I cannot relate to what y'all got going. Like, what am I going to watch? I'm going to watch you make some fucking TikToks. I don't know what y'all be doing. Um, so I feel like I'm not super keen on wanting to watch, uh, things that have this demographic in general but then the content of the show was so like it was so um mismatched like it was so heavy for them to be in high school that it was so kind of ridiculous that I was like I like this idea I think because we have all these other shows like Riverdale they're fighting they're like something's happening with a murderer Hunger Games is literally this dystopian ut- the society with young people. So you have all these other shows. And I like this type of idea. This is the only type of like young people show, genre, whatever that I enjoy where they're doing grown shit. Like I do not want to watch young people. Oh, I'm gonna go to my locker. I don't give a fuck about what's in your locker. Girl, if you don't go punch in and and punch the clock like i don't care about that so <laughs> said that to say that i originally was very interested in this but i left feeling very confused because i was just like it's so disjointed like the subject matter and the people talk playing out the actual story seems so disjointed but then also the plot is so disjointed that it just almost feels disjointed in general so let me break it down. When I, I ended up having to watch it again, and when I watched it the second time, I feel like I got some more solid critiques. What I will say about Solid in the Spades is that it's it's beautiful, but it could be beautifuler. Let me explain. I feel like the way that it's shot sometimes makes it seem so heavy, and it takes me out of it. Because we know that these are 16, 17-year-olds. They're kingpins, whatever. Like, we know that. But you adding all this extra dark lighting and all these extra moody scenes and making them have these ho- heavy, heavy conversations, it just seems almost too ridiculous, I feel, when you when it looks that way. But when it doesn't look that way, you have to watch it to n- understand what I mean, when it doesn't look that way i think it is very beautiful i wish it would have had the uh cinematography and the optics of the politician i don't know if y'all have seen the politician on netflix but that show is just as ridiculous uh same type of like demographic um but it's so pretty to look at that it almost like heightens the, the 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 seriousness of what they're talking about in this ridiculous way it it adds to it I feel like sometimes when I was watching Sel in this phase and they were having these very serious moments it didn't add to it it kind of took away it took me out of it but that's enough about how it was shot and how it looks let me talk about the plot so like I said Cell is training up her mentee but she's also fighting this war so in this she has to deal with like her right hand man. Um, basically, I don't know what's going on with Maxie, but Maxie had this girlfriend, her right-hand man in the show named Maxie. He is the actor that, um, he played the friend. I want to say the friend's name was Kevin, the friend in Moonlight. Um, he was that actor, love that actor. He was also the, um, main character of Wouldn't they See Us. I'm blanking on his name. I want to say it's Jarrell Jones. That feels right. Um, But yes, the actor uh, was that actor. I absolutely adore him. I think he's so good. I hope that he keeps getting roles. I hope that he never stops eating, period. But his character was like trying to balance being in this kingpin business while also having a girlfriend, but also like dealing with his own uh, insecurities. And chow, it kind of becomes a mess it becomes a mess because all of this is happening um all of his character development is happening all of everybody's character development is happening but Sela is in charge okay Sela is that type of character to where she is whether you know it or not controlling everything manipulating everything and making it all happen period poo um and when I was watching the show, I was still also a little confused because, like, throughout the show, the plot is progressing, but every now and again, they'll uh, stop to have uh, Sella do some type of like monologue or whatever. Um, and I don't particularly care for that. They do that same thing uh, at the beginning of She's Got a Habit. Personally, I don't particularly care for it, and she's got to have it either. But yeah, I just feel like as confused as I am in the show, and as I'm like looking for more, I wish they wouldn't have done that. I wish they would have just fleshed out the plot more. I wish that they would have just like added more character development, all of that, as opposed to these random... Not random, because they they align with the story but i don't particularly care for this like taking me out of the plot to discuss the plot and then putting me back in it i don't i don't particularly care for that but what i do enjoy is what she's talking about in these moments so she's talking about like power and that 17-year-old girls rarely have power and you have to take your power back and i think that that is like the overarching theme of the of the show talking about like these kids and that they do have power. A lot of the main characters are women. Um, Sella, like I said, is black girl. Um, And it's about them taking what they have, the resources that they have and taking their power back from it. They, they literally don't, I don't recall seeing actually maybe there are three adults in the whole thing. And I like that because they don't need adults. Um, They don't need adults. And I think that that is a very powerful message about power, Uh, And if you're a young person listening to this, um, I mean younger than me, I am not going to tell you to go be a kingpin of nothing. But what I am going to tell you is that you do have power to do things. And don't let nobody tell you that you don't, period, point blank, periodic table. But going back to Sella, Sella and them... Sella in the, in the, I always want to call it Sella in the summers, but that's not it. <laughs> um, so going back to Sella in the spades, I do like the commentary about power. I really, really do. But I just, I also like, before I go into like other critiques, I also like uh, Sella as a character. I feel like char- uh, Sella is a character that has a lot of depth Um, she is, like I said, she's this kingpin, but she's manipulative, but she's also very sweet, but she also has these issues going on with her mom, where like her mom is pushing her very, very, very hard at school, but she also, um, doesn't have sex and is not interested in sex. She's a very interesting character and I wish that they would have like showed more of her other sides of more of her nuances. Um, Actually, I I think they show Sela very well. What I wish is that they would have done the same for Sela that they did, um, excuse me, done the same for the other characters that they did for Sela because where Sela is this very nuanced uh, um, dynamic type of character, everyone else isn't. It's kind of like everyone else is just in Sela's world. And I guess that's the point of it, but I would still have liked to see all of the other kind of aspects and see how other characters grow as the story progresses. But I guess that that was kind of the point now that I hear myself say it out loud, but yeah, I guess that that was kind of the point, but I still would have liked to see it. Um, And I like Sela as a character because like she's not the most likable character. I love when Black women play characters that like you don't like. That's the one saving grace for me about she's got to have it, because I don't like she's got to have it. I, I I don't. I'm sorry. We could talk about that on another episode, <laughs> but I don't particularly care for she's got to have it. But one thing I will say is that um DeWanda Wise, the, the actress that plays Nola Darling, She is acting. She's acting, one. But two, Nola Darling as a character is a fucking asshole. (laughs) Nola Darling sucks. And when you really think about it, she is bad to her friends. She's bad to herself. She doesn't take responsibility for anything. But those types of people exist. Those types of Black people exist. Those types of Black women exist. So it always makes me very happy to see characters played by Black women, played by Black actresses, period, that aren't likable. Because I feel like a lot of times Black women are always cast to be some type of nurse, some type of mammy figure, some type of bitch figure. But I like seeing Black characters who aren't likable, who are manipulative, because those people exist in real life, but they're also um, they're also necessary to be played in in media. When we talk about representation, I don't just want to see a dark skinned black girl be. Oh my gosh, I like love it here. Everything's sweet. Everyone loves me. I want to see. Um, I want to see some drama, and Sella in the Spades definitely gave us drama. I don't want to give away like some of the key plot points because, like I said, the plot was kind of you you missed a little bit from the plot. The plot was very, very hungry for more. So I don't want to give away too much because TBH, I would be giving, I would be giving a lot away. But I think that Sella and the Spades is a very, 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 very interesting type of uh, movie. Um, And I heard that they're like in the works of creating a show for it. And I, I think that I was talking to someone and I think I was telling them that that could be why the um, plot was a little bit missing because if they're going to make a show out of it, you got to leave some stuff for the show. And I would love to see a show with this, uh, with this plot fleshed out to like a more thorough place. But where, with what it is now, I did enjoy it. Do I feel like it's something that you need to like break down your your laptop and jump into Amazon Prime right now and go watch it. I don't know if it's that, but I appreciate seeing the Black representation in it. I appreciate the commentary is about power. I appreciate the dynamicness of Sela as a character, though I wish there would have been more. And I appreciate just this fantasy that was created. I, I appreciate the plot. I just wish that there were some changes that were made that would have made me happier, but everything ain't about me and it ain't about you either. So period. (laughs) But that's how I feel about selling the spades. It was very cute, but it left me wanting more. And I, if they're going to have a show after, I guess that was the point, but I think you should still watch it to support, um, miss mama's, my niece. Um, I don't know the actress's name, but I think, I think you should still watch it. Give it a try. But it's not something that I would tell you. Reschedule your whole day. Sit down and watch Selling the Spades. No. Have y'all been watching Too Hot to Handle? Because I have. And honestly, I've started watching Too Hot to Handle, which is a reality show on Netflix, uh, because I missed the Love is Blind wave. And once all the hype happened, I'm like, well, no. When I watch it, I ain't going to have nobody to, on Twitter to talk about it with. So... I'm just not going to watch it, and I still have it to this day. If it's worth watching, let me know. Send me send me a message, and I will watch it. I'll give you my thoughts. But I missed that wave, so I was like, Netflix is coming out with another love-related reality TV show. Let me not miss this wave. So Too Hot to Handle is a reality show on Netflix where they have a bunch of contestants come to this very nice house, and... They are told that they can't have sex, any type of sexual contact. They can't touch, heavy petting, no kissing. They can't have sex. They can't do any of that for the duration of the retreat. And basically the whole point of this experiment retreat is um, for the contestants to have or to begin to develop stronger relationships. And honestly, my first issue with this show was like, where the fuck did they get these people? Like, did you just put an ad out and like, "Hey, are you hot? Are you horny? You want to go to you want to go on a vacation?" Yes? Well, I got the place for you. So, yeah, I was just they were coming on there like, "I'm so ready to have sex." I'm like, "So what did the ad say?" But that's a whole different thing. So they get all these sexy, sexy, hot people from all across the globe. And basically the first couple of hours, they're drinking, they're scouting it out. They're trying to see who, who's going to be their boo. Um, and then they find out that they can't have any type of sexual contact. And they're told that if they get through this retreat, they will win $100,000 um and every time that they break the rules meaning have some type of sexual contact that money's going to be withdrawn from their overall hundred thousand dollars and honestly i love that they are actually having a retreat where they do workshops and actually work on themselves and shit because my favorite reality show of all time is bad girls club and in bad girls club At least after the first couple of seasons, they just took like six, seven girls, threw them in the house and made them fight. They didn't make them fight, but they told them fight. (laughs) And that was the show. And I lived for however many seasons it was on. I surely did. But this show, they actually are like, okay, you're going to get something out of this. I appreciate that. So I... This show, this show was such, this show was the type of like messy reality TV that I enjoy because truth be told about me, I'm not someone who's like, oh my gosh, I love TV. I'm going to go watch all the newest shit that comes out. I absolutely 100% am not. I like things where I don't have to like think about them and reality TV, you don't have to think about it. <laughs> so I this was right up my alley, but oh, this show was got very messy The the only thing I was missing was I wanted to see a fight, but I feel like I always want to see a fight in reality TV. I may need to get out of that. But so let's start from the beginning. Let me give you the, 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 the roster, I guess, that we're working with. So we start off with Chloe, David, Francesca, Harry, Kels, Nicole, Rhonda, and Sharon. And... Let me tell y'all, there are only three Black people on this show. Rhonda, Sharon, and Kels. And I... They are all very attractive, but I try... I struggle. I struggle because I know these are the types of shows that you're not supposed to take seriously. But it's so disappointing that that those were the attractive people that they chose because... Y'all picked what eight, eight, six, seven, eight, however many white people, and say, Here go three black people, take it a little bit. And it's disappointing, but I think that this show strives to intellectualize trash. So here we go. I don't like to see that. I don't think that that is, I think that that is very reflective of. Of all the things, y'all, y'all know what it is: Eurocentric standards of beauty, racism, black women being at the totem at the bottom of the totem pole. Like, pick pick which issue you want us to dive into, because the fact that there were no other people of color, <clears throat> there were no other people of color, there were no queer people. Like, what's not clicking? What is not clicking in these casting rooms, in these writing rooms, in these rooms? Like, what the fuck is it clicking? I don't know whose ass needs to be beat, but what's not clicking? But once you get past that, these characters, not characters, they're real people. These people get in this show and I, shit you not, it's maybe like, it takes almost an episode, spoiler alert, for someone to do something. So it starts off with kissing, um... Some of the people start kissing, they don't know how much money is gonna be taken away. I think the relationships that are formed from this show, they didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> they did it. So, for example, the like the girl that everybody wants is Francesca. Francesca is an Instagram girl. She literally comes on the show and she's like, I don't care about the money. <laughs> I could make that in, like, a post or some shit from posting on Instagram. I'm like, girl, well, send me a dollar. Shit. Since you miss money, miss queen of money, like, send a, send me a dollar. Um, She is infatuated with the little Australian guy, Harry. And, child, their whole relationship is a mess. And I want to talk about it because it's a mess. So, basically... They hit it off or whatever. They end up kissing. A kiss in this show costs $3,000. $3,000 dollars Like, I'm sorry. I can't imagine kissing anybody and being like, oh, that was 100% worth the $3,000. Like that, no. But anywho, they have this relationship where they hit it off immediately. They're one of the first people to kiss. And... Basically, um, the boy, Harry goes on and like lies about the kiss when they're confronted about it because Lana, Lana is the little system that's keeping track of all the people. Lana went and told the group that, Hey, someone kissed, uh, period. Figure it out. Um, so he went and told the group, Oh, she kissed me. She was, she was all over me. And I hate once again a larger issue. I hate when niggas don't take responsibility. There if there is uh, there are a lot of things that I don't like about men, but one of them particularly is when they they do things to save face or they do things to make it seem like they weren't the 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 aggressor in the situation. I hate when men do that. And I hate that they can get away with it because get away with it. That nigga did. So Francesca goes and she tells everyone, Hey, you know, I cost some money. Me and Harry had a kiss, but he kissed me. And after he kissed me, that nigga was literally like, Oh, we should just go have sex right now. Um, right after they kissed and then got in the group and said, Oh, I never said that. Oh, clearly we're having some miscommunications. Woulda dropped his ass right there. But Francesca goes on this whole journey throughout the show, like, oh, I think I really like him and I want to be better at, you know, trusting people. Uh, they go through it in this show. And I don't know if that's counterproductive, IMO, because I am a strong believer in not having to sacrifice for, uh, to experience love. And what I mean is that, of course, if you're in love, you're going to ex- experience and have to go through some sacrifices. But what I mean is in the beginning, I shouldn't have to be tested. I shouldn't have to be put through the, the hoops. I shouldn't have to experience pain before I experience love. And I, I don't, I don't really like their relationship. If it were left up to me, she would have went somewhere else. And just thinking about the other relationships, Rhonda and Sharon end up getting together, which are one of the two Black men and the Black woman. And I hate that because I, as a Black woman who is attracted to Black men, like I want to date Black men, I want to marry Black men. It's annoying to me that she only had two Black men to choose from. It's so annoying. And I don't know, I feel like Rhonda was a baddie, but I didn't really care for her at first because she just seemed very like, ditzy I don't like that at all she just seemed not all the way there and I'm like girl wake up what are you what's wrong what's not clicking and she was like oh all of you are from London you're from Australia you're from here you're from here I'm gonna start picking up your accent I'm like shut your corny ass up no you're not um but outside of that her and Sharon end up getting together after her and David David who is a tall delicious snack from England wanted to mess with her. He wanted to have his little moment with her. But Sharon was like, oh, I like you too. I fucks with you too. And when he found out that there was a possibility that David liked Rhonda, he goes and has this big man to man. He's like, oh, I've already started sharing with her. Like it's such a fucking Soft ass move, in my opinion. I'm just like, if you don't let David have her, because clearly you're still interested in being a whore. But that's neither here nor there. Let me tell you about Sharon, though. Sharon comes in the show, and he's like, "Oh, I'm a women's studies major. I'm a gen- what is he a, a gender studies major?" And if you listen, you'll pay attention close enough and realize that that's how you get women. And it's like, girl, if you don't go and get. Because also, Sharon is short. I feel like that's worth mentioning. Um, And as a stallion, I'm sorry. I do have a personal bias towards short people and short men. I know God is working on me, but he's short to provide the context. So I'm just like, so you're corny for talking about all this gender studies mess. Oh, I'm going to get women from gender studies. But you're also just cornily saying this as a short man. It's getting on my nerves. And then you went to David, tall king, with an accent, crying your stupid short heart out, talking about, oh, um, you should just let me have Rhonda. Da, 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 da. And David, being the king that he is, he lets him have Rhonda. And Rhonda. Goes with him, which is crazy to me because in one of the workshops there, they have to like look into each other's eyes and David is paired with Rhonda and David is looking into Rhonda's eyes and he starts crying and he's like, I just feel like I see you. I see you being the most beautiful. He's just really talking about like, he sees her soul and then she goes with this corny ass nigga. I'm like, so what's the point of the show? What's the point of the show? But Anywho, those two relationships, Francesca and Harry, mess. But Sharonda and, uh, Sharonda, chow, Sharonda, I know a girl named Sharonda, if you're listening, love ya, mean it. But (laughs) Sharon and Rhonda, they, I actually, once they became like a thing, I started to enjoy it. Because it's like they were growing with each other and they were being vulnerable. And I was like, oh, that's so fucking cute. Um, but I like reality TV for all the mess that happens after. So, in the mess that happens after, they say that Rhonda and Sharon don't see each other or something like that. Uh, and I'm just like, girl, Harry moved from Australia to Canada to be with Francesca. Are you crazy? That's crazy. um. So, yeah, those are the relationships. But the other uh, people, I enjoy them also. I think this cast, they're very entertaining. I Like I said, I like mindless TV, and this is just a mindless type of show. I feel like this would have done good in that era of, like, real world, where all of those reality shows were on, like, VH1 and MTV. I feel like this was that type of vibe, that Florida-Bama-Shore- Type of energy that I got from this show. And it was crazy to me because people can be eliminated and they can choose to like walk off if they aren't getting anything from it. And also they bring in new people. So everything was going fine. Then this girl from Florida, Haley, I think is the one who was from Florida. She ends up getting eliminated because she said, "I hate all of y'all. This is boring to me. This shit sucks." And honestly, I fucked with Haley. I did because as much as I'm not from Florida, I've visited there before. So I feel like I know I feel like I know her. She could be anybody I went to undergrad with. And I don't know. I just really resonated with that Florida girl spirit. But nonetheless, she got eliminated. And then another person walked off. Then these new people come on. When the new people come on, they are—they're about starting shit. <laughs> One of the guys, um, a new guy comes on. Corey, I don't know what he is. He—he, he, I don't know. He is that racially ambiguous type of light-skinned boy. Uh, so I don't know what he is, but he's tall, he's muscular, and he's very attractive. And he comes on there. He starts starting shit he's not interested in personal growth he's interested in having death and that's just that and i i hate that too i hate when niggas do that too i don't know when this segment became the i i hate when niggas blank 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 but i hate when niggas come it's like you literally could have just left stuff alone and i get it he makes for good tv i get that but like in real life niggas like exist and they see you on this journey of like personal growth and 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 I'm bettering my relationships and they come fucking shit up and sure you know you have to talk about oh what is your level of self-control why do you allow people blah 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 all of that is true but that don't take away the niggas still came and fucked shit up you literally could have just left me alone you literally could have just left people alone and that's how I feel about Corey like I want to say he was another one who was eliminated at the end because he wasn't taking the shit seriously. Alongside another new person they brought in who wasn't taking it seriously. The one thing I did appreciate is that one of the new people they brought they paired with, um, they paired with David Tall King that I that y'all have seen that I love and yeah it seems like he was really happy with Lydia and though I don't see the pairing per se I feel like they just gave him someone to give him someone that's my personal thing um I'm happy that he got someone in the end and just going back to think about all the other characters I like that they had um the sweet girl Chloe uh tell that boy that she didn't really like him like that because that's a part of the growth that's a part of the journey I don't know who needs to hear this, but sometimes you got to tell people you don't like them like that. There's no point in dragging it along. If I don't like you, I don't like you. If you're listening, I don't like you. See how easy it was? (laughs) So I like that they showed her like having that. I like that they showed their actual growth, and I like that they showed they had these kind of thoughtful, kind of reflective types of workshops. What I didn't like though was Kel's stank ass attitude the whole time. It's like, please, please, please don't be stank. Don't be stank. What's your issue? What do you gain from being stank? So overall, with Too Hot to Handle, it's my type of reality TV. And if you like reality TV, I think you'll enjoy it because it it, it, it checks all the marks. Like there's love, there's drama, there's drinking, there's attractive people. I will say though, I get secondhand embarrassment really, really bad. And they are all attractive and they're all kissing. And I'm like, I can't take this. <laughs> it was just, I had to keep pausing it. It was making me nervous. I don't know. But outside of that, I think Too Hot to Handle is a very cute show. I didn't stop describing things as cute. <laughs> but I think it gets the job done for me. Like, it, I don't feel like it's supposed to be this like substantial type of show. It's just reality TV. And for it to just be reality TV, it gets the job done, though I do have my issues with it. And if they bring out more seasons, I'm going to need some more men's I'm going to need some more Black women's I'm going to need some more real diversity. Not that play play shit that y'all keep thinking, oh, Let me pepper in some black people and it's diverse. That's not diversity. And even as a black woman, like I love seeing black women. I love seeing black people do things, but that is not diversity. And we, we can just call it that. So like that show and the next show that we're going to talk about is actually a show that I feel is supposed to be substantial. It's supposed to, once you eat it, you're supposed to be full, you know, and that show is little fires everywhere. And I want to try to talk about Little Fires Everywhere without going into literally every plot point because I could because this show is so fucking good. This show is so, 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 so good. So Little Fires Everywhere is a limited series drama on Hulu that stars Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon. And before I even talk about the plot, them together... Together? Together. They did that. Listen, every single actor and actress on the show came to work. And I will say that about the show um, and the actors on the show. But Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington, as a dynamic, I love to see it. I love to see it. Because Reese Witherspoon, she's not an actress that I think about... um. She's not an actress I think about a lot, actually, to be fair. But when I do think about her, it's like, oh, sweet Reese Witherspoon. You know, we love her. Just just sweet old, non-problematic Reese Witherspoon. But baby, when I tell you Reese Witherspoon conjured up every white woman that's ever oppressed me, every white woman ever, she conjured up the spirits. Uh, you ever saw that black and white photo of those white women yelling at, uh, I want to say this was something in the 1960s where these white women are yelling at a black, uh, a little black child getting ready to integrate a school. She conjured up them for this role. She, and now I'm mad because she played this role a little too good. I'm like, now hold on Reese, hold on, bitch. Don't get two in your bag now. Okay. But the dynamic between her conjuring up the, the spirits of the slave masters and Carrie Washington being Carrie Washington, oh, it's just excellent. It's just excellent. So Little Fires Everywhere is a very layered show, I would say. It has a lot of layers. Carrie um, Washington plays a single mother who is an artist who travels and essentially their whole gig is that they go from city to city. They live in their car and go from city to city, um, living in whatever city for however long until Mia, Carrie Washington's character, makes some type of art piece and decides to leave. And she ends up meeting um, Reese Witherspoon's character and all of Reese Witherspoon's character's kids, Um, Because she drives to their little town and wants to rent Reese Witherspoon's um, place. And that's how their lives become intertwined with each other. And when I tell you that this show is so well done, it has that like purely soap opera-esque feel where it's just heightened drama, like for all of the episodes, but without feeling well, I I don't know. I'm from a different time. So I feel like all my children's and that type of shit is corny. But I feel like this has the drama of shows like that without being corny, in my humble opinion. And the way that... This show not only develops the characters, but developed the plot, and which is why I say I don't want to talk about it too much, because I could tell you every single thing that happens. And then I'm going to really be getting messages like, oh, Liv ruined little fires everywhere for me. Cancel Olivia. And it's like, okay, cancel me because I'm a piece of shit. Don't cancel me because I ruined little fires everywhere. Um, yes, just a little self-deprecating humor for your, for your day. But I digress. Anywho, I don't want to give too much away, but this plot is so layered. So they become intertwined with each other because of the way I just mentioned. And um, Pearl, Carrie Washington's daughter, um, is like becomes friends with uh, Reese Witherspoon's kids, and they they engage with each other. What I will say is that Pearl Moody was right there. Moody was right there, and I. I love, I love this show. Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I feel like I'm getting so overwhelmed because I don't even know where to begin to like tell you how great this show was without giving you all the tea. But, um, so essentially Pearl, Mia's daughter starts going to school with, um, with the other kids and her whole gig is that she wants security. She wants stability. She's like 15, 16 at this point. And all she's known is driving around with her mama in this car. So she's really attracted to the stability that um, Elena Reese Witherspoon's character gives to her children. And she ends up like forming this relationship with Elena and her kids. And this kind of... It, it it makes the relationship between Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington that much more intertwined because Kerry Washington in the show in the in the movie show whatever it is is like very much a free spirit I'm going to pick up and leave whenever I feel like it but also is very much about her daughter so she ends up working for Elena in her home And shit just starts to slowly, slowly, slowly unravel. And like I mentioned, Elena Reese Witherspoon's character, she's that white woman. Like, she is that white woman that you think of. And her kids are those white kids. She has that, like, quintessential family where, oh, my daughter is perfect, and my son plays football, and my other son is artsy. But they have another child who is the true definition of a black sheep in the family. Isabel, Izzy, the youngest cat daughter of Elena in the show, she is a queer, um, young artist who is not really accepted by her, not accepted by her mother at all. Um, And she does everything in her power to be defiant with her mother. And her mother... She does not give a fuck about Izzy's individuality, doesn't give a fuck about Izzy, like, growing into her own person. She just wants Izzy to be perfect, period. And if you watch the show, you see how her obsession with perfection for her kids, and even herself, leads to basically her family's life imploding, And her house, (laughs) because the show starts off with uh, showing a scene of Elena sitting in front of her burning house, and we're trying to figure out who burnt the house down. And I'm not going to give it away. Please watch all eight episodes twice, three times if you have to, but these are the types of things that lead to uh, what happened to her house happening to her house. And in this drama, there's all types of things happening. There's Carrie Washington and Reese Witherspoon always having these little back and forth moments where Reese, With- Reese Witherspoon is white womaning it up. I just can't get over it. I really can't. She is really just white womaning it up. She was pursing her lips and furrowing that brow. I'm like, mama, who have you been studying? <laughs> because, girl, it made me a little uncomfortable, but... They have these wonderful moments where Reese Witherspoon, like how white women do, they be trying to explain shit to you and, and lay down the law to you. And then Kerry Washington comes back and says some type of snide remark. Love that dynamic. But then also the kids, like I said, every actor in the show came to work. The kids are also acting their asses off. They're also having these like great storyline developments. One of which, um, Elena's oldest daughter, um, Lexi, ends up um, using Pearl, Carrie Washington's daughter, Mia, the character's name, her essay, cause she's trying to get into Yale. And when I tell you that boiled my fucking blood so bad, that shit boiled my blood so bad. Because I go to an Ivy League school and I, that wasn't a flex, it's just a fact. I go to an Ivy League school and I work my ass off, like my whole ass off to get to the place that I am. And I know that that's a story for so many people of color, so many black people and even if it isn't an Ivy League school, I just know that that is the story that you work. We work our asses off to get everywhere, and the just the the visual of this girl taking this 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 other girl's essay um, about something that had happened to her, a racially charged experience that she had, to use it to get into Yale. Oh, what else was I gonna write about? Like that is not a fucking excuse. I don't know which white person needs to hear this. But that's not a fucking excuse for anything. If you're an apologist for her behavior, I'm coming to whack you. No Carol Basket, because I own that. But like I'm coming to whack you with something. Maybe a roll of toilet paper. I don't know. But that shit boiled my blood for the entire season because I was just like, so, so this bitch is really finna, she really finna. Oh, okay, she really did. What I do appreciate, though, is that this same character, Lexi, she had a Black boyfriend, and he was giving her hell for it. He was like, "Like this shit is not okay. He was dragging her through the mud for every microaggression, every aggression, aggression. And I was like, period. Period. Get it to her ass. Because... Child, I don't wanna be, I don't, I don't wanna go too, too far in the stream, but you know a lot of black men do not check white women in that way when they should be. But I was so, so happy to see it. And that is one layer of the storyline. The other layer of the storyline is Pearl um in her love situation that's why i said moody was right there moody is the son elena's son that originally you know gets involved with pearl and she ends up going to talk to um the other boy the other son that um elena has but from that interaction izzy the youngest daughter elena's youngest daughter Ends up saying something to the extent of just because you you weren't entitled to her, just because you liked her, and bingo, bitch, boom. As much as I want to stand Moody and Pearl together, he ain't have no authority over her, and that's another thing. I guess today is the episode of the things I hate when niggas do. But that's another thing I hate when niggas do is like you don't own um, me. You don't know you you already you own nothing over here. You don't tell me what to do. You ain't checking nothing over here, girl. And that's what I hate. Not saying I hate booty as a character, but just in general, I hate the whole nice guy rhetoric because men truly think that oh, I was nice to you, so you deserve to belong to me. It don't even work like that. Cause you could be nice to me all you want to, but if I don't like you, I don't like you. The fuck? So yeah, I loved when she said that, but I was still rooting for Moody and Pearl. I hate to tell her, but I really was. So that is their relationships and their growth. That's another layer of the show. The other layer of the show um there are lots of layers of the show but the other more like primary layer of the show is kind of like this legal battle that is happening with one of Elena's friends uh where she just adopted a child um and Mia Carrie Washington's character finds out that her coworker at the a restaurant that she's working um that is her baby and she finds out um, that 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 the child that Elena's friend had just adopted is her friend's baby, and she essentially starts helping Homegirl with uh, her legal case to get her baby back, which is so fucked up to me because they talk about this in the show too. But it's so fucked up to me because she really had her and her daughter like living in a car for years, years. And out of nowhere, she just ups and pulls all this money out of her ass to help her friend with this, not even her friend, just one of her coworkers with this case. And come to find out, child, she has some type of personal connection to the case. Personal connection to the to the storyline. And I really, really, really don't want to give it away. But I think you should go be watching Little Fires Everywhere in a heartbeat and if you haven't already noticed this show is so layered it's so engaging it has all the character development and plot development that I wanted Sela and the Spades to have and it does it so seamlessly I never found they they go over a lot which is why like I'm having trouble kind of trying to pick out the biggest themes and stuff like that but They get a lot of drama and a lot of plot points in there without it feeling overwhelming or disjointed. It's all very fluid. And I truly, truly, truly can't sing enough praises over this show. I could do a whole episode about this show and might. Who gonna beat my ass? (laughs) So I think that you should be watching Little Fires everywhere. You should, once again go pause this episode and watch Little Fires Everywhere get back to me. Because Little Fires Everywhere is, the, is a beautiful show. Unfortunately, I don't think that there's going to be a second season of it, because I Google. Because I'm like, listen, when is it coming back? How do I start the fan page? And uh, there was a quote from, I want to say, the director. And they said something to the extent of, it was a limited series. The story has been told. So as as much as they would want to make a second season, It's kind of like they don't want to, I guess, besmirch the art that they've already created. And I can respect that. Because how many times have we seen shows that didn't need a second, third, however, season and had them and it was a mess? So I can honestly respect that. Um, But damn, I would love a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Make it a Grey's Anatomy thing, okay? So yes, I 100% think that you should be watching Little Fires Everywhere. The last thing I want to talk about in this kind of roundup of all the shit we've been watching over quarantine is America's Next Top Model for some reason. See, let me put you on. So I've been watching America's Next Top Model. Yes, boo me, hate me, start the hate club for me. But... I've been keeping it on the hush-hush because, you know, we all have our guilty pleasures. I don't want to be, oh, I'm watching America's Next Top Model and the girls are like, did you know that? I know. Fuck. I was 12 when I saw this show the first time. So all the injustices, all the all the bullshit, I didn't get it. Okay? I didn't see it. I'm sorry. Shit. But I see it now. We could talk about it now. So... Miss Tyra Banks is having her days on Twitter because not only am I watching America's Next Top Model, everybody else is re-watching America's Next Top Model. And girl, America's Next Top Model was a show. The whole show was a choice. Um and honestly, watching it back for me, it's so cringy. It's so, 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 so cringy. And someone mentioned on Twitter that It's so exploitative, not only because of the shit that they're doing in the show, but because Tyra Banks marketed this show as like, oh, this is self-empowerment. We're empowering women. But then you get on the show and they're so nasty and vile and, and unfair to the women on the show. It's like, pick a side and stay there, sweetie. Period. And watching it back, oh my gosh, this show is a mess. I'm remembering episodes where Yaya Cycle Three, Yaya should have won the season. As much as I love Eva, that was Eva. Um, y'all know Eva. Eva's the most famous um, uh, America's Next Top Model um, contestant winner, in my opinion, because she she had been in that bag. She she's been in somebody's bag, and it's kept her in the limelight. But Yaya on season three was a very like Afrocentric type of girl, very intelligent. I want to say she was in college at the time and her style was very like organic earth Tony Afrocentric, if you will. Don't even know if that's the right word for it, but like that is, I guess the comprehension of her style. And it was, it's this clip that circulates where they had to like pick a hat And they were mad at her for not picking the Kente hat. And that whole interaction was a mess. Tyra had that black girl apologizing to a fucking racist and a fucking hat. What? And then another clip that's been circulating circulating around is season cycle six winner, Danny. They wanted her to close her gap. And she was like, I'm not closing my fucking gap. Um... And then they went on a couple seasons later to put a gap in someone's mouth. So it's stuff like that that's so exploitative. So you have to change who you are. I'm going to change everything under the premise that I'm going to make you a star. And girl, look at the material. None of them are really stars at all. None of them are really top models at all. And it's just disappointing because I remember being... I remember being a young girl watching this show and watching the first seasons of this show and looking up to Tyra Banks and thinking like, damn, this, she is changing the world. She's letting all these models have the opportunity. And as an adult, I, I laugh at my child like naivete. However, it's just so disappointing for me as an adult. It's like, It's like, that's why they say don't meet your idols. But I guess, I don't even know I didn't meet Tyra Banks, but I'm still disappointed because I feel like I just met the real her. And it's crazy that this was happening. And I guess the climate of television back then was very different. And everyone keeps saying, oh, that type of show wouldn't, wouldn't survive now. But I'm like, girl, it wouldn't survive in the explicit overt type of like, racism, fat phobia, all of the things that were going on, but some derivative of the show would survive. Let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. I'm sorry. I don't believe the, oh, it wouldn't survive in 2020 because all the shit that has still survived in 2020 exists. So I I think it's good that we're having conversations around it. But America's Next Top Model, I'm very happy it got canceled. They were literally harming those women on the show, exploiting the shit out of them. And none of them even really popped off. Thankfully, some of the girls, like the the girl who they wanted to close her gap, Danny from season six, she's still a working model. Um, Fatima from Another Cycle is still another working model. So they have like working models, but I'm like, at what cost? Because then once you leave America's Next Top Model, no one is taking you seriously as a model. That's what they say. And honestly, if I was Givenchy, if I was Versace, if I was Hermes, and you came to me from America's Next Top Model, I'm gonna look through your portfolio and be like, okay, I saw you starting drama in the house, so was she really a bitch or was tea And then I would proceed to not book you. So... <laughs> And that's just how it is. And I get that, but it's just disappointing. And I'm happy that they are lighting Tyra Banks' ass up, period. And sooner or later, mark my words, they're going to start lighting RuPaul's ass up too. Because as much as I've been watching America's Next Top Model, I've also been watching Drag Race. I don't know if anybody else watches Drag Race. If you watch Drag Race, please let me know. I need more people to talk about Drag Race with... It gets on my nerves that y'all don't talk about Drag Race, and I'm sick of it, but um, I've been watching Drag Race. I've been watching Drag Race for forever. I literally have been watching Drag Race since it came out, and my little 10-year-old ass was watching Drag Race on Logo, but this newest season of Drag Race is really, really, really good. I don't know if it's just me, but season 12 is a little spicy, um, but like I said, it's going to start, they're going to start pulling out the receipts on RuPaul's ass too, because the, sim- there are similar things that are being said by old, uh, top model contestants that have been echoed by drag race contestants. The producers forcing the plot, producers not allowing them to eat and to talk, being overworked, uh, RuPaul and Tyra Banks being like nasty to contestants. All that stuff is, is, is a parallel. And, I hate to te- I hate to say it but I I see it in the near future. And they've already started. That's I think I see it in the near future on a larger scale like how Tyra Banks is having her day on this large scale. And also RuPaul the there's a rumor that RuPaul is fracking on his on his ranch. What the hell is that about? So I've been watching America's Next Top Model. I've been watching Drag Race and Chow. As juicy and as entertaining as it is, I'm happy that the conversations are being had because I think, <clears throat> and not to do jump too far into the stream, I think that reality TV, pop culture, all of this is, is a reflection of the social norm, social commentary, social and political correctness of the time. And I do, I I don't know if it was politically correct, but it was, it was reflective of its social time, the things that were happening on top model, but it's crazy that we're still having similar conversations to date, which is why I say it's, it's hard for me to say, oh, this is just going to disappear. I don't know. Um, not that it's going to disappear, that shows like this would survive. I don't know if they wouldn't, um, But yeah, I I think that these types of shows are reflective of our current political and social climate, and it's fun to dissect them in this way, and it's fun to hold people accountable for the shit that they do to the contestants and the viewers of the show. So I'm happy that the conversations are happening around those both. And with that, ladies and gentle thems, that's how I feel about control. (laughs) Okay. okay, But seriously, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Stream of Social Consciousness with your girl, Olivia Brown. And thank you for listening to my reviews. If you agree, if you disagree, let me know. Send me an email. Tweet at me. Do whatever you got to do. Um, And if there's anything else you think I should watch or anything else you want me to review, let me know. Send me a tweet. Send me an email. Get in contact with me. Also, remember that you can ask for advice, Pooh, I got you. I got you. I got you. You can ask for advice at streamthestream at gmail.com. And potentially you and your situation will be featured on an episode of Stream of Social Consciousness. So even more incentive to ask for advice from moi. Since we don't have any advice or any new um advice for this episode, I'm gonna just give some unsolicited unsolicited unsolicited, <laughs> unsolicited advice. And this advice actually is gonna go out to the class of 2020. Uh, all of the classes of 2020 that just graduated this year. Um, I know the circumstances aren't ideal, but do not let this pandemic overshadow the fact that you just o- accomplished something that is amazing. Graduating from college is the most amazing thing. Graduating from anything, high school, college, grad school, PhD, your mom and them house, graduating from your mama house to your auntie house. Graduating is um, an amazing accomplishment and though the world right now may seem like you can't even really properly celebrate i encourage all of you to still find some way to celebrate yourselves because you just accomplished something that a lot of people can't say that they have but also something that you can say that you did and i don't i don't want any of y'all to undermine your accomplishments i think you should celebrate as much as you would have if if outside was open but inside because you know it's Rona out there. I don't want y'all out there sick. You know the vibes. But yes, 2020, I'm proud of you. We're all proud of you. Take time to celebrate yourselves. Find ways to make this for meaningful for you because it is still just as much of a meaningful experience. And with that, thank you all for listening. I will catch you in the next one.